Stories from the Cumberland Arms, Episode 5, Getting Going, Joe, Policies, A Sacking and Surviving Covid. So now we really had to get down to business. The broken Victorian urinals with their well-used rat holes needed taking out. But they were a feature beloved by those of a more sentimental historical mind who thus were able to live above the smell, and we came in for some stick when they were replaced. The place needed rewiring, the plumbing brought up to standard, the cellar refurbished, new cooling equipment installed, let alone stripping out the flat above, assessing the crack in one of the walls, and replastering two of the rooms. When Joe, the daughter, came up to help, she was between jobs, and had agreed to give me three months to get the place up and running before she set out on other adventures. I was cautious about how things would go financially, knowing sales wouldn't nearly pay the overheads and the capital costs of repair and maintenance were significant, so re-roofing the upstairs venue would have to wait. No, it can't wait, Joe stated. You have to catch people's interest at its height. If you don't do it now and get it open and start running gigs there, you'll never have the same interest. And thus I learned about the quality of her business acumen, and also what all fathers of daughters learn, just to do what you're told. Jo had shown signs of leadership when she was eight years old. Her attendance one day at her junior school caused the headmistress to summon her mother, Jackie, and I into the school, clearly for a dressing down. Duly concerned parents, we arrived, clutching each other's arms, waited for some suitable time to establish the hierarchy of the meeting, and were then summoned into the headmistress's study and invited to sit. I am extremely displeased at your daughter's behaviour, insolent, impertinent, with no regard for the principles of the school, something up with which I will not tolerate it them at all. What's up, teach? We asked, a little more formally than that. She refused to go to a lesson. Refused. Disgraceful. Uh Aha, we said in unison. And she led the class in refusing, every child refusing to go to their next class. We thought, maybe Joe is in trouble. Uh, What did she do? We asked, rather less buoyantly, but still bridling at the criticism of our Joe. It was time for the boys' woodwork and the girls' needlework. Your daughter had the temerity to demand that girls go to woodwork. Brilliant! Jackie and I shouted in unison. Fantastic! We agree with Joe. And attendance at those two lessons was thenceforth by choice. Joe left school at 18 and went round the world for a year. She worked in Australia picking apples, walked barefoot round the streets of Zanzibar, bungee jumped off Victoria Falls and returned to make her adult life in London after a wonderful visit home to see me and Jackie. In London she quickly found a job as a glass collector in an Antipodean watering hole in Covent Garden. In just three months she won the trust of the management and became a keyholder. She later worked in nightclubs, developing her love and knowledge of music and how to run a business. She was especially admired for her care of her staff. So one day, soon after opening the Cumberland Arms together, 
we sat down to decide what sort of ethos we wished to create, what to do about any previous barrings, and how we should go about regulating behaviour. Joe was not interested in selling alcohol, save as a vehicle to hold gigs and other types of performance, to which we were both committed. I was clear that I wanted the staff to treat customers as if they were coming into my front room and for customers to treat the staff likewise. We discussed existing barring orders and decided that everyone, except one, would be given a clean slate. Our method to encourage good behaviour was to spot the early signs of trouble and then one or other of us would go and collect glasses as a decoy, speaking to people on the way. We'd then sit with a person or group likely to cause a problem and introduce ourselves and explain who we were and our hopes for the future of the pub. It was easy then to suggest, i.e. quietly require, moderation of drink or swearing or obnoxious noise. We don't want you to have to call it a night just yet, we explained. Hardly without exception, the person agreed to quieten down or the group said they would see to it themselves. If getting drunk was the issue, Joe's favourite routine was to suggest, i.e. gently demand, they had to drink a pint of water and take no alcohol for an hour. They would oblige, or leave of their own accord, or were taken away by friends. When necessary, people were given warnings. If the infraction occurred a third time, they were politely told that they might decide for themselves that the Cumberland was not the place for them. We avoided any question of throwing out or making a scene and embarrassing them. They were advised, however, that if they did return, they would be barred. This made it easy for them to say, "Mm, I'm not going back there anymore, which avoided them losing face. And such few barrings as occasionally they were, were for periods as short as the misdemeanour permitted. Absolutely no inappropriate or sexualised behaviour was tolerated from the start. The staff were told that they would be supported and the customer required to leave immediately, whoever they were, that sales were irrelevant in the face of their safety and protection. We were told that female staff in other places they'd worked were expected to tolerate innuendos, comments and groping. Well, not in my gaff. One of the best compliments I've been paid was when, after about six months, a woman came up to me in the bar. I want to thank you, Michael, she said. People feel so welcomed and at home here, but most of all, you've made it a place where women feel safe. It's so rare to be able to come in a woman on your own, after work for a quiet drink, or to be the first to arrive when meeting girlfriends, knowing there'll be no iffy behaviour. As the end of Joe's three months approached, she came to me and said, Dad, if you like, I'll give you a year, just one year, mind, and then I'm going to do something different. My heart sank. I neither had the time nor the skill to manage the place myself, with a time-consuming day job, nor did I have the bandwidth to manage a new manager. And Joe took some holiday in the early weeks of 2003, and I was sure she would come back itching to be free of her dad and for adventures elsewhere. 
although I knew she would fulfil her promise of a year's notice, which would at least give me time to decide what I was going to do. On her return from holiday, Joe asked for a meeting. I feared the worst. She clearly had something important on her mind. Dad, she began, you know I said I would give you a year. Here it comes, I thought. Well, I've thought about it, and if you'd like a permanent manager, I'd love to do the job. Not that I'm guaranteeing to stay forever. Something may come up. So started our life in business together. And after 20 years, so far so good. Nothing's come up. Actually, that's not accurate. Plenty has come up in the way of job offers across the city. But here she is, taking the Cumberland from strength to strength, nurturing the sense of Cumberland community, where people matter, the arts can flourish, and where a social conscience is a light. Despite the day job, I enjoyed serving behind the bar and was pretty good at it, I thought. I could draw a shamrock on a pint of Guinness and I enjoyed acknowledging customers waiting further down the queue. Incidentally, Cumberland customers are good at queuing. Queues began to occur naturally and there never seemed to be a scrum at the bar to beat it to order first. Once I watched a couple of likely lads burst into the pub, clearly spoiling for trouble. As it happened, they didn't have to push their way to the bar, for people saw the situation and gave way to them, saying, Come on, lads, it's all right, you go ahead. They demanded snakebite, politely refused. They asked for two halves of beer and two halves of lager, and they were again politely refused, and encouraged to have two pints of lager. They accepted and squinted over the rims to see who was likely to try to take them on. Are you staying, someone asked, for the ukulele bands, lads? They didn't. One day after Joe became the manager, I was working behind the bar as usual after court, serving drinks methodically one order at a time, by which I mean one drink at a time out of the order, as I couldn't hold more than that in my mind, let alone add up the cost. Joe, on the other hand, could take a full order of drinks and begin to serve them whilst asking the next customer what their order was, so she could begin to pour, say, a beer from a tap not yet in use. Sometimes she could do this for a third customer, the while adding up their separate bills, taking the cash and giving the change accurately. Dad, we need to talk. I'm going to sack you from behind the bar. I'd only been sacked from one job in my life, when I sold ice cream, or at least didn't sell ice cream, round the estates in Sheffield when I was 18. I was crestfallen, sacked, and by my own daughter. So while Joe began as a glass collector, I ended up as one, but I loved it. Getting to know the customers I went round, showing off carrying a couple of very tall glass snakes, taking a break at someone's table to compete in beer mat flipping competitions at which I excelled and which didn't get me the sack for slacking, and especially dancing round the tables for glasses to whatever music was being played at the time. One customer didn't see why a glass collector should be dancing. Why do you have to dance? he asked irritably. 
My gaff mate, I answered. Oops, he said, fair enough. So Jo was clearly establishing herself as the manager, the executive of the pub, with the clear ethos we had agreed, but with her own unique abilities to support performers and staff alike, help them grow and especially grow out of the Cumberland, and to create a thriving Cumberland community. As 20 years together approached, Covid struck. Joe had managed our finances well, so we survived. But the Cultural Recovery Grant had been invaluable to help us begin to get back on our feet. With it in 2021, Joe was able to put on a 25-event programme of free cultural activities, amongst other things, employing 190 artists and welcoming over 2,600 people to continue to keep community, arts and culture at the forefront of our mission. And an end word on our community. Do you know, during Covid, members of our community and performers made unsought donations of both money and time to help us through. Thank you. Without the Cumberland community, we would not exist. Without it, we would not want to exist. It is you who are greatly valued. What's a place that we all go? Where you meet everyone you know And the landlady, she's called Jo It's the Cumberland Arms If you have any stories anecdotes or memories about the Cumberland Arms you would like to share on the podcast, please email Michael Hodson on cumberlandarms2021 at gmail.com with the subject Stories from the Cumberland Arms. Include your story, written out, in note form, or a voice memo if you'd like, or just your details for Michael to get in touch with you. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. Our last episode in this current series will be coming out next week and will feature a chat with the one, the only, Joe Hodson. The Cumberland Arms podcast was produced and recorded by Hal Branson, barman at the Cumberland Arms between 2006 and 2008. The music featured in the Cumberland Arms podcast is by Tim Dalling.